Welcome to episode 292 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was engineered on 5th of February 2022. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA. Jensen USA, where you will find a great selection of products at unbeatable prices with unparalleled customer service. Check them out at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast, and of course, I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast since 2006. For show notes, links, and other information, check out our website at www.the-spokesman.com. And now, here's my fellow host and producer, Carlton Reed and The Spokesman. Thanks, David, and welcome to the show, which is just over half an hour with Travis Novel of Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's the peddling pastor on Twitter. Uh, pastor in church, not pastor in Italy. And we talk cars, parking lots, and what Jesus would ride. We also chatted about Travis's great new book, Church on the Move. You're not religious? No worries. The book is evangelical mostly about bicycling, walking and public transit. So, Travis, you've been the pastor of uh, Judson Memorial Baptist Church in Minneapolis for 10 years. And your Twitter handle kind of gives it away in that it's peddling pastor, even though you've got uh, one too few many L's for, for an English <laughs> spelling. But anyway, peddling, peddling pastor. Anybody who wants to follow you? and you're from England, don't put an extra L in yet, you won't get uh, Travis. Uh, so Peddling <laughs> Pasta kind of explains why we're going to be going to be talking today. But you've written a book, and I've read that book. But before we go to talk about that excellent book, uh, uh, tell me about the weather where you are right now, because my, my understanding is it kind of gets cold there. Oh, yeah. I mean, today, it's right now, it's negative two Fahrenheit, and a wind chill will be negative 20 throughout the day. So it gets pretty cold. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen photographs on your social media of you being wrapped up pretty warm and, and you know, full on, you know, gloves on the, the handlebars and and you've got to have um, spike tires, all this kind of stuff. So you, you're, you're going to be riding year round. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a year round rider. Yeah. 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 It's it's. It's it's fun though. It's fun once you get started. You know your body creates enough uh, body heat. You get warmed up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you're you're part of Minneapolis because you're you're only a couple of miles from where George Floyd was murdered, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. George Floyd, uh, the murder site is about about a mile and a half north of uh, where I live, and about um, two miles east of where the church is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And are you riding yeah. from your home? To, to your church every day is that is that kind of what you're using your bike for you're using your bike for everything i use my bike for everything yeah when, when we first moved here i had a, a volkswagen and i loved it uh, but the heater in it went kaput and i was tired of putting money in it so i sold it and the the story is you know that that it's happened on a sunday that the heater went out and i was preaching a sermon uh it was basically on how do people how do you sacrifice something so other people can experience joy for the common good? And my daughter, who was 12 at the time, I went to tell her goodnight. And 
She said, hey, Dad, um, I was listening, uh, thinking about your sermon today, which is you know, to- totally unusual for a 12-year-old, <laughs> I understand. Uh, but she said, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice uh, so others can experience joy? And that just, that just floored me. I felt like a complete phony. And uh, I said, you know, honey, I don't know, but I'll, I'll have an answer for you in the morning. So the heater in the car went out, and I decided I was just going to start biking, walking, taking public transit full time. Uh, and that was, you know, that was nine years ago. Uh, so I use my bike for everything, you know, go to the store, go to the, uh, go to work, go to the library, entertainment. You know, my wife and I, we go out on dates, we ride our bikes. Yeah. So it's kind so of a full-time was, endeavor. That's kind of a preview of your first chapter. Cause you mentioned that that's, that's how your book uh, begins about that. that, that yeah. Yeah. With your, with your daughter. Now, another thing that's in that, that first chapter, which tickled me. Uh, and which I've, I've told you that it tickled me when we were emailing about <laughs> this, and it kind of describes your your community as well. And so I'll just I'll just quote it back to you. You'll know, of course, very very well. But you've got to dis- explain what you mean by this because I love it. <laughs> so you say your congregation uh, of mostly quirky people who live at the intersection of the television shows The Vicar of Dibley and Northern Exposure. What what do you mean by that? Well. You know, every meeting that we're ever in, uh, I, I keep a little journal, and I'm like, "When do we cross the Vicar of Dibley line?" Uh, and last night, it we we had a, we were in a two hour meeting, and we we made it all the way to uh, an hour and twenty three minutes before we crossed it. So we, it, it, you know, and it's hard to really pinpoint, but there's always some point where we segue into like we're over these minute details that don't really mean anything except to us, and we start, you know, not bickering, but having these you know deep conversations on. Uh, how, what is the sentence of this motion going to actually look like? Um, mm. And you just kind of devolve into it. Or, you know, you're, you're sitting in the middle of a meeting uh, and someone just comes up with the most off-the-wall question. And then it feels like you're in an episode of Northern Exposure. Like somebody just walked through the door and, you know, like they, you know, the, all they have is a pair of shorts on and nothing else. It just feels <laughs> one of those kind of weird meetings. So it, that's when I, when I talk about the congregation that way. It's you never know what's going to happen. Uh, there's always going to be somebody that's going to have some kind of off the wall comment to say, but then they're also going to be this, you know, kind of loving, compassionate people at the same time. So it just makes for a very interesting day at work. Yeah. Yeah. Cause both those programs, they're, they're definitely quirky, the people involved, but there is absolutely tons and tons of warm heartedness in both shows, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's the kind of beauty of everyday people, um, you know, kind of, in the midst of bizarre circumstances, but then also just common everyday things. Yeah. So as I said, you've written a book, uh, full yeah. title church on the move, a practical guide for ministry in the community. And I, I, I do want to ask you uh, in a minute about, you know, who that book is for, but first of all, mm-hmm. tell us about your personal journey. So in the book, you talk about, you know, in your college years being hit, you, you're riding a bike getting around and you were hit by a beer bottle thrown by some yeah, some, yeah, yeah. some yob and then you kind of said oh, i'm never going to get on a bike again and then you know fast forward a, a, a few years and you're actually at a funeral give, giving the, the funeral and then you said the person you were you were uh, eulogizing at this uh, burial service was a lifetime cyclist and that kind of got you inspired again so so tell me about that journey yeah you know, I, I grew up in a on a on the top of a mountain in a country on a you know in the middle of the country on a dirt road, and I loved riding bikes. Uh, but to get to the nearest place to ride a bike uh, safely, you know, I had to go off the mountain and then down to town, 
and um and I just loved riding bikes. I just you know as a kid, I just it was something I loved to do. But there wasn't like a real there wasn't a biking community in my hometown, and there wasn't really a safe place to really ride. I mean, I don't know how many times I almost got hit as a kid. Uh, just people taking corners too fast and running through stop signs and such. Uh, and then when, when I was in sixth grade, though, we, our patrols, you know, there's the, there's the people um, at public schools who stand as crossing guards for people to cross the street into the school. Our patrol group, we went to Washington, D.C. for our spring trip. So we got on a, a bus and we went, you know, drove eight hours to D.C. And everyone else is looking at the um, – you know, the DC, the, all the monuments in, in Washington, DC. But I was amazed because that was the first time I ever saw a separated bike lane. Um, <laughs> and I was, I, you know, I was 12 years old and that's all I wanted to talk about. And I, and I came home and my parents were like, what'd you think of DC? I was like, mom, dad, they, they have these bike lanes that are, that are separate from the road and people ride on them and they can go all over town. And, and they were, they were just like, yeah, but did you go to the Washington monument? Yes. Yes. But there were these bike lanes and, uh, <laughs> They just kind of rolled their eyes at me. So I've always had this as a dream to be in some place like this, but it just never would work out. And then I'm, I'm at the, um, I'm, I'm doing the funeral and one of the family members is talking about this guy. And they said, you know, he was a really kind of bizarre person. He rode his bike year round uh, to Providence, Rhode Island, and he would ride it in the winter and he had these special tires and everyone just kind of chuckled at him being, a, you know, this eccentric person. And I'm sitting there going you can ride year round your bike and you don't have you know and don't have to have a bike lane um so that that just started then i was off after that and i you know mm-hmm. i kept trying and i just couldn't but it just never did work out when I, we moved to new orleans and i thought i finally found it you know this this city it's flat it's compact it's easy to ride around uh it'll be no problem at all uh and then i started riding but the one thing i didn't think about you know new orleans is a subtropical climate Mm. Uh, so every day at four o'clock it rains pretty much. And I would get stuck in these rainstorms unprepared. Uh, and there was a real boundary that was crossed because it's, you know, it's so hot and humid there. I would, I would go into a parishioner's house and I would just be covered in sweat. Mm-hmm. Um, and one time I, I go to visit and the, and the person that I'm visiting says, can I go get you an extra shirt? Um, and it just felt like a really odd boundary to be in. Not mm-hmm. a safe, you know, kind of an odd place. So I said, can I just sit by the fan instead? So, um, <laughs> so, I, so I kept trying it there. And then when we finally came to Minneapolis, um, you know, that's when, you know, when my daughter preached a sermon. But th- there was also this great biking community in Minneapolis. And there were just a lot of people. The, the people at the bike shop, when I told them, the perennial bike shop, when I told them what I was wanting to do, they just, you know, took about a half hour and walked me through. How are you going to do winter biking? The, gre- the gear you need the problems you're going to have and here's, you know, blessings for your ride. So it was just a, it's been a very supportive place. In those, in those uh, years that you've, you've, you've spent in Minneapolis and your community, uh, you've mm-hmm. used that many of those anecdotes and it, it's in this, this, this book, Church on the Move. So <laughs> is this book for your community? Is this book for, and it could it be for the Vicar of Dibley equivalents in the UK, you know, <laughs> vicars who are r- wanting to, to, you know, ride around their parishes. Who is this book for? Yeah. I mean, pr- the primary audience is, you know, pastors and, and, and vicars and priests. Uh, that's the primary, that's who I wrote it for. Uh, but the other part of it is, I think a lot of other people can find um, some inspiration from it um, be- just because, it's just a way for people to get to know their neighborhood by riding your bike, by walking, by taking public transit. 
Uh, if you take that um, way of transportation, you're just exposing yourself to so much more in the community. Um, you're making yourself open for new relationships. So even though it is geared <laughs> uh, specifically mm -hmm. for parish priests and pastors, it, it has a broader appeal in a lot of ways. So I'm hearing from you know community organizers, um, also just hearing from from people in nonprofits. You know, how do we get to know our community better? Well, here's a here's a great way to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a whole chapter in the book about parking lots. Yeah. And how <laughs> yeah. auto dependent. I mean, this is for me as a, as a as a UK resident. I don't get this quite so much. We don't get yeah, that yeah. here. As I know that you get that in America. But basically, how auto dependent churches have become. Um, so tell me why being automobile dependent isn't good for a church. And and I know you do mention many anecdotes in, in the book about, but so what can be done with parking lots instead? And this is, of course, a parable uh, for everybody, not just for churches, but just describe your thinking around that. Yeah, uh, you know, parking lots, um, they enable, uh, you know, well, first off, I should say, you know, most churches in America, city churches in America before World War I, uh, they were all um, built around are being accessible for walkers, bicyclists, and people that took the streetcar. Uh, so they, none of these churches had parking lots. And for, you know, think churches for 1900 years did not have parking lots. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a, you know, recent phenomenon. And then what happened uh, when churches became auto-centric and then parking lot dependent, uh, they became disembodied from the neighborhoods that they serve. So before you had everybody within probably a 20-minute drive or walk or streetcar ride attending church. But a car enables you to drive 45 minutes to an hour, uh, I've heard from some people that, that ride into church. So rather than a neighborhood church, you become a church that's in the neighborhood, but nobody from the neighborhood attends. And so it just becomes this um, kind of vacuous place. Uh, and then a parking lot just increases that. So you, you tear down uh, houses in the middle of neighborhoods so you can have parking, which, you know, a parking lot is just a temporary storage of an automobile at maximum a few hours a week. Uh, and it just creates these barriers between the church and the community, and it enables people to just kind of slip into the church community for an hour or two a week and then slip back home to their uh, house, you know, where, wherever they reside. But th there's also kind of some psychological and I would say spiritual uh, parts to this as well. Let's say that you uh, count the number of churches that you pass on your way driving to church. Uh, the number is going to be here in America is going to be quite large, regardless of where mm -hmm. you are. Uh, and let's say that you're the church that you're at, you kind of get in a disagreement with someone. Um, it's so easy with a car to say, you know what, I'm just going to go to the next one then. Uh, I don't have to worry about it. But if you are you know, walking, biking, taking a bus to a place, you're kind of committed to it. You're going to have to work out through, uh, work out some of those feelings and emotions. And you're going to have to learn how to get around, get along with people that you don't really, maybe you wouldn't uh, invest your time with if you're in a car. It just creates a little bit ease of way of getting out of relationships. Uh, and, and I think that's a, that's a bad move for churches, for faith communities, for, for any kind of, you know, neighborhood organization. Hmm. So, so that's why I think parking lots um, 
you know, are, 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 are not exactly the best investment of space and money for uh, faith communities. Um, but I think there's things you can – let's say you have like a gigantic parking lot. There's things you can do. Um, you know, here, here in uh, Minnesota, somebody started what's called the straw bale gardening movement, uh, where you just basically grow vegetables in a straw bale that has um, some fertilizer in it, so just some uh, nitrogen really. Uh, you, I mean, in one parking spot, you can grow enough to feed a family of four for an entire year. Um, or uh, my, my thought is like, don't think of them as church parking lots. Think of them as church plazas, you know, a way that's just more than just temporary storage of automobiles, but it's a, a place where people can gather. Uh, you can have farmer's markets. You can have basketball courts. You can have uh, soccer pitches. You can have um, arts uh, market. I mean, there's, there's so many things you can do other than just store a car. In your book, you talk about no, no. how w- one um, parking lot of a, of a church where there was some hoops, basketball hoops, yeah. put up, and then that was deemed by the, the the church elders or by whoever as oh that's that's just not good use of this space. And then they came along and and chopped it down. How unchristian that is when you've got a lot of kids there. And people using this as a community space, and then you you take that away again. That's that's kind of unchristian. It is. It's totally. And it you know that was the that was one of the highlights of my youth was that basketball court. We loved going there. We spent so much time there, and they um, it, it, this was a perfect place. The parking lot was for people from the outside of the community to drive into, uh, park their cars, go to worship, and to get in their cars and leave. But the parking lot for us was a basketball court, and we all lived in the community, and it was our place to go and hang out. And rather than try to see how these two could be combined, the church and the and the basketball court, the church only saw it. The only imagination they had was, this is only for cars and cars only. Uh, and it's and it's disturbing um, our Sunday morning worship. So once one day we were out playing, uh, and as we were leaving, we saw a guy come with a blowtorch and cut the basketball, uh, you know, pulls down and we just, you know, we just started crying. It was, it was terrible. Yeah. Mm. I just thought that was a, a, a poor imagination on their part. Mm. Yeah. So cycling, I mean, your book is, is, is yeah, it mapes mm. on cycling, but there's definitely tons of walking in there and, and transit mm. is in there uh, a lot too. So all of those ways of getting around, not in cars, uh, good way, as we know, of really seeing and experiencing uh, a, a locality. Now, driving can be, doesn't have to be, but certainly, I'd say a lot of the times, is quite selfish. It's even, uh, and you mentioned a poster that you put up, uh, um, The Seven Deadly Sins, uh, you could say driving everywhere actually has quite a few of the seven deadly sins. So you've got sloth, obviously, yeah. There's some envy in there. Plenty of times when you're looking at the, you know, the other car and you want to, to upgrade and stuff. Definitely a load of pride in there. So again, we're coming on to the un- unchristian stuff about <laughs> driving here. I'm not trying to put too much in your mouth, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so my question is, what would Jesus drive? There's a whole campaign about this. Uh, maybe 10 years ago, there was a minister who came up with an idea. What would Jesus drive? And, you know, obviously they came up with a, a Prius at the time, <laughs> yes. uh, some kind of, you know, hybrid vehicle. But, you know, I don't think Jesus would drive at all. You know, uh, I, I think that 
he would obviously he liked he loved to walk. Uh, we, we read the Gospels, but I think Jesus would be out there on a bike. I think Jesus would be walking. I think Jesus would be taking public transit because he wanted to be around people. Um, so he would. That's the best way to be around people. He wanted to be around those. You know, in America, a lot of times the people on public transit um, are people who who can't afford to have a car. Uh, there are people who are you're kind of struggling through life. And I think that's definitely where, you know, Jesus would be hanging out at the bus stops, hanging out at the rail stops and would be uh, on those places rather than in a car. Yeah. And I think that uh, he would take the money that he would have put into a car and, and put it to better use and uh, for the common good. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Now, as a, as a, somebody who has studied, this professionally as in i did religious <laughs> studies at university i would say yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 pretty much with you there um apart from the smiting the romans bit all that kind of stuff but anyway um <laughs> uh, so continuing this seven deadly uh, sins theme uh another another sin is is wrath so getting angry people get angry uh, and we know this people get angry driving in in cars and now i have i've I, I put this in my my uh, Rosenot built for cars book. Actually, it's a whole chapter or a whole section on on people getting angry. But and I mentioned that I've seen nuns driving at me <laughs> aggressively, you know, about to knock me off my bike. So something about driving turns mild mannered, uh, goodly people into something very different. And you mention in your book the the very famous Disney cartoon Goofy, where he turns into uh, you know, Mr. Wheeler, uh, after being really, you know, Mr. Mr. Walker. So he becomes like this, 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 this horrible person when he gets behind, uh, uh, the wheel of a car. So how, how can we, how can we be made to recognize that we shouldn't be Mr. Wheeler, the selfish, angry, wrathful Mr. Wheeler. We should be much more like the mild mannered, kindly, uh, Mr. Walker. I think it takes a lot of intentionality on the driver's part. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I think that a driving disconnects you from life. It puts you in a, you know, in a steel box where you um, can have, you know, temper, temperature control and you have also, you know, aroma control depending on how, what scent you want uh, emitted in your car. You also put in this, in this box, uh, whatever music or uh, podcast or, you know, Whatever you want to hear, everything's controlled about it, and so you're you're so disconnected from other people. And studies have shown you know, once you go over about really fifteen to twenty miles an hour, you can't read another human face. So people, rather than just humans, they, it's almost like they're transformed into objects. So the intentionality on the driver's part has to be uh, so much. But but I mean, people just get in a car and just drive. I don't think there's much intentionality at all. You know, I, I, in the book, I talk a little bit about, you know, the Vatican came out with the rules for drivers, uh, 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 papal dictum. And, uh, you know, and, and we're talking about that the Vatican had to say that, you know, that drivers should occasionally pull over on the side of the road and pray, and pray. just to kind of just to kind of break up the monotony. And I mean, think about that. What, what other what other task does the Vatican say when you're in the middle of mm. it? You should probably stop about every half hour and pray. Uh, <laughs> I picked that out of your book. I, I, I definitely highlighted that. So it, it, the, the, the dictat said, 
when driving a, a motor vehicle, special circumstances may lead us to behave in an unsatisfactory and, and this is amazing, <laughs> and even barely human manner. I mean, just, yeah. wow. Just wow, exactly. Yeah. But that's never really, I mean, that's, that's just a, you know, a, a tiny footnote. It's never really expressed out loud. So as you said right at the beginning there, yeah. you know, about that guy who you did the eulogy at the, the funeral is, you know, you're seen as um, pretty peculiar people. So to be a peddling pastor is seen to be peculiar. It's, it's peculiar, and it's even peculiar within my own profession. Um, you know, I have a little license plate I had made for $6 that just says clergy on it. Uh, and mm. I put that on the back of my bike uh, and, and ride it around. And the reason I did that, one time I was – I mean, I like cars. I'm not going to say I'm not, I'm not anti-car. There are parts of – motor vehicles that I love. My dad used to work on them all the time. And that's what I spent most of my weekends doing was helping him rebuild engines. Um, but here I was sitting at a stoplight and a, a clerk, another person of the clergy pulled up and they were driving um, a car. I won't, well, I won't name it, but I, but I knew that car very well. And it cost $65,000. Uh, <laughs> and as they pulled away, they had the clergy sticker on it. And I thought, okay, what are we saying about our profession that this is this is how we this is what we are uh, projecting you know presenting mm. to the world, so you know I, I so even within my own profession uh, when I show up to events there's there's starting to be some other people uh, ride bikes and on Twitter you know I found some people that are around the nation that are doing this too and especially you know in the UK there's more, uh, but still we're, we're viewed as a little bit peculiar that why would you ride a bike to you know to a, for for a pastoral visit or to a conference or to a preaching event. Mm. I mean, doctors get the same, district nurses get oh, the same. Sure. Anybody yeah. who chooses a very practical method of getting around gets the same uh, uh, stick, really, to, to be hit with. Yeah. You're peculiar for doing something that's actually incredibly sensible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, in the middle of a, you know, of a climate crisis, mm. uh, I mean, here's a way that, okay, until there's, you know, full electrified vehicles, which I don't think solves much problem, um, but until then – here's something you could do right now that would cut emissions that would make you happier and make you healthier uh, mm. and would put you in better touch with your community. And yet you're, it's still not adapted as this, you know, cure all, which I think the bike's a miracle, you know, is, is a miracle machine. Mm. You also wrote that in, in the book that bike lanes are not just for privileged spandex clad, lycra clad, uh, speed <laughs> racing uh, bicyclists. But I've, I've, I remember when we were talking, when you were, you were, you were talking before, I had a, this image of, of, um, I remember it was a couple of years ago, maybe a bit more than that, of an African American church who were complaining about bike lanes being put in outside their church. Um, and they were almost saying this is a racist thing to do because all you're going to get is middle-class white guys coming past their African American church and how bad that was. And I, and I, I found that quite, odd but there is this you know it's, it's almost a stigma of this is a a, a, you know, a middle class white thing to do even though the great majority of people on bikes are actually poorer people but there's a stigma attached to the fact that bike lanes are for white middle class uh, people so how do you square that circle yeah well i mean it's tough it's tough uh very much so uh, you know, and the article you're talking about, I believe, was in Washington D.C. 
And I think that's something that bicycle advocates need to think about, uh, you know, is kind of these undertone uh, racial uh, themes that are running through it. Um, you know, and I had – that's – the churches in D.C., if you look at there, there are, you know, historical African-American churches that, have, that are still present in areas where the membership um, of, that, of those congregations can't afford the gentrification uh, of the neighborhood. So they've had to move away. Um, and so, you know, I have, I have kind of a very uh, soft spot that soft spot in my heart that we need to create a lot of space as much as possible um, for African American churches and, and other uh, uh, churches uh, in the, in those regards that need to have. Um, I, I, I would hope that we would give them more leniency when it comes to bike lanes. Uh, you know, there's ways you can work with the community, though. I mean, can a bike lane be uh, for a few hours on Sunday? Can it be? You know, can parking be allowed in it? Uh, I mean, I think there's ways that the bike community and churches, uh, African American churches, could work together rather than being, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's either or. That can be a both and um, in that regard. But for me, the, the you know the part where I started seeing um, racial justice and bicycling happened in Atlanta, Georgia, when I got off the uh, bus. I was going to the Martin Luther King uh, Center, and there's Ebenezer Baptist across the street where he was you know, where, where he was pastor, you know, there's a bike lane in front of Ebenezer Baptist Church. Uh, and, and, I, and I started thinking, okay, wh- what is the connection between bicycling and um, social justice and racial justice? And you, then you start thinking about it. Okay, in America, the civil rights movement was, you know, a movement, but it was, you know, it was a movement based on, you know, the Montgomery bus boycott, uh, which if you think of in America, that was the greatest moment for uh, bicycling, walking, and public transit, you know, in America that the African-American community organized and for, you know, a year plus they uh, walked, they took bicycles, and they had community carpools to get to work and do errands. There's a wonderful picture of a Montgomery City bus, empty, but it's surrounded by uh, African-American kids on bicycles riding around it that was taking place during a Montgomery bus boycott. Uh, so, so I think that if we look historically into this, we can see that bicycling, you know, primarily and, and walking in public transit can be ways for us to uh, form new relationships uh, in our divided uh, democracy. Mm. So that's that's my, that's the best way I try to square that uh, circle. Mm. You describe your parish um, as a bikeable. Parish, not 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 because it's, it's it's vain with bike lanes, but just because you can get everything in in your locality. So, like the famous now famous, you know, the fifteen minute city, uh, yeah, where yeah, everything everything is 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 close. But you also discovered by using um, um, Excel documents and Google, all sorts of different tech that you discovered of of, of where your people in your community live. You, you found that. Seventy-five percent of your community also lived close uh, to the to the church. So, are automobile-centered churches getting it wrong? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, and a, and a study came out, but in Baylor University, which which I, I quote in the book, you know, most people drive fifteen to twenty minutes to church. That you know, it, it, uh, they're already not driving long distances. They don't live uh, that far away. And it's usually that 25% of people that live far away. It's how churches have kind of 
imagined that's their target audience, mm-hmm. which which I think they got it wrong. Right? Our target audience is the people within the that fifteen to twenty minute city, uh, the fifteen mm-hmm. to twenty minute neighborhood. Uh, yeah, I mean it's great, and let's and let's use the parking lots then if we have parking lots. Let's use those for the people that live far away. You know, we're we're, we're what's called a welcoming and affirming church. We are, uh, you know, LGBTQIA plus affirming uh, congregation. You may not be able to find that in a community that's maybe you know forty minutes away. Uh, so let let's reserve our parking for families and individuals who are looking for a more inclusive neighborhood. I mean, more inclusive uh, faith community. Uh, let's save our parking spots for them and really concentrate on those within the walkable, bikeable, you know, public transitable uh, parts of our neighborhood. And I think if a lot of churches did a uh, Google Map survey where they put in their uh, directory and then you can pin each address, I think they would find a, a great majority of their congregation would, would be within that uh, 15 to 20 minute circle in the, to begin with. So focus on that. And leave the parking spots and other other places for people outside that circle. Of course, many people would, even if they lived just five minutes away by walking, would still <laughs> prefer to drive. So how yes. do you how do you get around that uh, stickle? <laughs> well, you know, we, we haven't really succeeded that well at, at Judson. Judson, I mean, I'm trying, I'm trying. It's, it's tough, um, but however, you start to see it happening slowly. Um, you know, when I first started this experiment, my kids were mortified uh, and thought that this meant that, you know, we were going to walk or ride or take the bus everywhere. And I said, look, this is my experiment for my job. You know, if you all want to join me, you can when you want to. And, you know, it took a few years. And then all of a sudden, you know, my, my, my kids started riding bikes with me everywhere. And then they started realizing that, you know, we don't need to have a, a driver's license. We don't need to be, have a car. Um to go around the city and hang out with their friends. In fact, they actually found that they were a little bit freer than their friends who were car dependent because their friends who were car dependent had to either get permission from their parents for the car or they had to get a job to help pay for the car. Uh, but my kids, they were able to do otherwise. Um, and then my wife uh, started, uh, you know, after a couple of years, one day she just came down uh, one morning, she had a cup of coffee and she said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I said, do what? And she said, I'm going to start biking to work. Um, and it, it just kind of slowly happened within my family. But then also, the I've noticed church people, there's been a few Sundays in the summer when I went out and we had, uh, there was no place, there were no other uh, spots for bicycles. Everyone had, had uh, they were taking up all the bike parking spots and there were more people walking. Um, I'm just hopeful that, you know, little by little, we can, we can try to change things to example. But I tell you that recently, the one thing that I've been noticing is, I haven't really done a good job of myself myself promoting bicycling, walking, taking public transit as a viable option uh, for transportation, for health, and for community engagement. And that is something that really changed during the pandemic, um, you know, because biking was one of the great ways we could get around and be together as a community. So we started doing bike tours of the neighborhood, uh, and you could tell that there's we're, we were gaining some momentum on trying to be less car dependent. Mm. Charles, it's been fascinating uh, talking to you. Uh, where can people get your book and spell out your peddling pastor name for people who <laughs> who uh, <laughs> don't realize that uh, there isn't two L's in it uh, in the American spelling? So <laughs> tell us that. And then I want to finish, actually, on a, on a, on a prayer. 
And and if you don't remember your own prayer that's in the back of your book and you and you can't flick to it, then I've, I've got it written down here. But anyway, first of all, <laughs> tell us where people can get the book, uh, what you are, or who you are, sorry, on, on Twitter. And let's, let, let's finish on that prayer. Yeah. Well, you can find the book at judsonpress.com. Uh, that is, um, that's the press that uh, public published it, uh, Judson Press. That's the American Baptist uh, Press. Uh, you can also find it on Amazon. It will be on Bookshop and um, uh, other kind of independent places. But the best place would be actually just to go to Judson Press and order it from there, or to you know order it on Amazon. If if you uh, you can find me on social media on Twitter primarily at Peddling Pastor and the uh, prayer. Do you mean the prayer for sidewalks? No, that's the, quite long. No, the, the, what, yeah, the yeah, exactly. so, yeah. May your wheels always spin true. That one. Yeah. May your wheel always. May your wheels always spin true. May your brakes always grab. May drivers always see you. And may the smile only riding a bike can evoke always remain on your face. Happy riding. Thanks to Travis Norville there. And thanks also to you for listening to episode 292 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. Brought to you in association, as always, with Jensen USA. Watch out for the next episode popping up in your feed later this month. But meanwhile, get out there and ride.